Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Ken Berry. Dr. Berry is a board-certified family physician who practices in a rural town in Tennessee. His practice focuses on optimization and prevention care, in particular for treatment for obesity and chronic conditions caused by the standard American diet. His, his passion is helping to explain how to use your diet and lifestyle to get the health you want. Ken, thanks so much for coming on for another episode. Yeah, it's great to be back. Good to see you, Gary. Yeah, so we were just saying offline how it's amazing the journey you've had since I last spoke to you because you were episode 36 uh, where you got to explain to all the listeners, do doctors lie back then, which was fascinating. And of course... Yeah, you've just become a sensation online now and you've got lots of people wanting to follow you and it just shows that you're sharing information that people want to hear. So I'm so glad to get you on to share even more information today. Thank, thanks for having me. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the carnivore diet. It's a hot topic as always, particularly in January 2019 when people are doing the World Carnival Challenge or Carnival Month. And You've got an interesting story, I think, because when I last spoke to you, you were you were still, I think, particularly focused on the ketogenic diet. But uh, I see that you're now a carnivore yourself. So I think my first question for you then is, what's your journey been like to transition onto a carnivore diet? Well, it's it's been a journey that started years ago with uh, the primal paleo ancestral diet, right? That's kind of where I started. And I had benefits with that, but I didn't really get all the benefits that I wanted. And so I kept looking, kept reading, kept searching, and I found the ketogenic way of eating. And I, I, I thought, well, I'll try that for a month, right? And I did, and I felt even better. And so I, I, was, I was ketogenic for probably three years. And let me tell you, I, I believe that the carnivore diet is a subset of the ketogenic way of eating. I don't think it's a different diet. I just think it's a, a, a dialing in of the ketogenic way to even a, a lower carb way of eating. And so I don't think I've switched to some new fad diet. I think I've basically dialed in my ketogenic diet to where I need it to be based on my ancestry, based on my gut bacteria, maybe based on you know my metabolic health. All those things combined make me who I am. And it, it, they also make me need the diet that I need to be as, as vigorous and as vibrant physically and mentally as I can be. Because I, I think that's the goal of everybody is to, to feel the best and look the best and be the best that we can possibly be. And if that's your goal, then I, I would highly recommend that somewhere on the ketogenic spectrum, from vegetarian keto with, with just eggs and cheese and oysters, all the way to carnivore somewhere in there is the proper diet for you. Mm -hmm. I think you brought up an interesting point there about the transition from ketogenic diet to a carnivore diet or, and how a carnivore diet is a part of that spectrum because that's also what I've noticed is it's all a part of the low-carb spectrum and you can be ketogenic on a carnivore diet. Absolutely. Um, and I've definitely seen a lot of people who, are, who were on a ketogenic lifestyle transition into a carnival lifestyle and say wow it's just taking it to a whole new level and it so it, yeah it's it's a very interesting time i think for the for the keto world um 
to introduce more protein than maybe what Absolutely. people had eaten before. Yeah. And about, about three years into keto, I'd, I'd been hearing about Dr. Sean Baker and I had met Amber O'Hearn at a, at a low carb event. And I had been also hearing about Jordan Peterson and his daughter, Michaela. And I thought, well, you know, that's interesting. And then about that same time, I got my 23andMe results back. And I, I found out that I have a very large percentage of Nordic, Scandinavian, Northern Latitude DNA. And that also I have more Neanderthal DNA than about 96% of the population. And I had just watched a YouTube video by Dr. Michael Eads. And if you guys don't know him, you need to check him out. He's got some amazing information on YouTube that we can actually know what the Neanderthals ate. We can do nitrogen and carbon dating on their bones. And we can tell if they ate mainly a seafood diet or mainly a meat diet or mainly a veggie diet. And Neanderthals from this research looked like they were absolutely carnivorous. And only if they were starving would they incorporate vegetables into their diet. Otherwise, they were exclusively carnivore, fatty red meats, a little bit of seafood, but they were they ate meat. That's what Neanderthals ate. And so with all that information, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try one month of carnivore, just fatty red meat carnivore and see what happens. And I had already gotten many health benefits from being keto. My dandruff had went away. My chronic joint pain was better. I was, I was stronger. I was faster. I just felt like I held more muscle naturally, even without working out. And I'm not saying I, I was, you know, jacked up. I'm just saying I, I didn't have pencil arms eating keto, even when I wasn't working out. And so my keto was kind of a fatty meat, lots of fatty meat, a little bit of veg. That was my keto. And so it was, it was a very small step to just remove that little bit of veg, right? And so I, I started my, my carnivore month. And at the end of that month, my heartburn, which I've had all of my adult life. And so back on paleo, primal, ancestral, I had severe heartburn every day of my life. I would have to take Nexium, Prilosec, uh, Pepsid, something every single day for heartburn. On keto, that got about 80% better. Maybe one or two days a week, I'd have to take a, a Tums or some little something to block the acid. After that month of carnivore, I had zero heartburn. And that's something that I had never experienced my entire adult life. And also, I had a knee that I'd blown out playing basketball between high school and college that although much better on keto, still was tweaky and still would ache and I'd get a little infusion every now and then. After that month of carnivore, I had, that knee was just as silent as my other knee. I had zero joint issues after a month of fatty, meat, fatty red meat carnivore. And I, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to do this for another month. And so I did it for another month. And now I'm on my 10th or 11th month. I'd have to count it up to know for sure, but at least 10 months of just fatty meat carnivore. And every now and then I'll steal a Brussels sprout off my wife Nisha's plate just to see. And I'm like, yeah, it's tasty, but I don't miss it at all. And, but, but 98, 99% carnivore. I still have some coffee. I use salt, pepper. I eat some, I eat eggs. I eat uh, seafood. Obviously I have a little bit of good quality, full fat cheese. Every now and then I'll put a splash of heavy cream in my coffee, but it's usually grass fed butter. And so that that's the carnivore that I've been on for the last 10 or 11 months. And I, I still, I have no heartburn anymore. And, and like, if you'd went back and talked to my 30 year old self and said, you know, you don't have to have heartburn every day. I'd have been like, okay, whatever. 
you know, because I had heartburn every day. That was just part of my normal life. I thought that was normal for adults who, you know, were doctors and had, you know, movers and shakers. You can have some heartburn. But I haven't had, I can't remember the last time I had heartburn. I don't have Tums in my pocket like I always did. I don't, I, I no longer take the Nexium samples up. I give them to the patients now and I just don't need them anymore. And, and so it's been really amazing. And so now I just turned 50. And when I tell people that, they're like, you're 50? Wow. But I'm, I've decided that because everybody says, oh, you have sarcopenia on keto or carnivore. There's no way you can build muscle. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm 50 now. So I'm supposed to be an old man, first of all. Secondly, I'm eating this diet that's supposed to be very bad for your muscles and your skin and all this stuff. You can't put on any muscle doing this. I'm going to start lifting weights. So I bought a moderately priced set of weights and a weight bench. And I started working out a month, about a month and a half ago on my 50th birthday. And I'm going to post pictures of myself once a month on my Facebook page, just to kind of show everybody. Can you, maybe I can't, maybe I can't put on muscle, but if that's the case, that's going to be, you'll be able to see that in the pictures that I post every month on my Facebook page. And when I'm working out, I've got Danny Vega. He actually uh, flew in to spend the weekend with me. He's a, huge keto trainer. He is swole. If you guys know what that means. I mean, he is jacked up with muscle and he's keto. And so he's going to, he's been, he used to be a power lifter and he's still a bodybuilder and he's going to show me all the, the form, the proper form, the, the techniques. And so we're going to make some video out of that. And then I'm just every month I'm going to post. And if, if I get bonier and bonier, then so be it. That that's the truth of the matter. But I suspect the opposite will be the case. I suspect I'll put on at least a little, if, a lot of mu- if not a lot of muscle, over this next 12 months. Yeah, I, I have a sneaky suspicion uh, we're going to see a bigger version of you in a few months' time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, that's, that's such a great result then to say that um, you had even more improvement in your joint health, and particularly then that's daily heartburn situation that you had known about that had got so significantly better with a ketogenic way of eating, but just is gone now on a carnival way. Um, so with your experience and with all your medical knowledge too, it, uh, the way you're feeling with the carnival diet right now, is this going to be a long-term thing for you? Or are you still just in a, uh, maybe a year, maybe, maybe? I'm a very open-minded person. I'm always looking, always reading, always refining and tweaking. And so for the foreseeable future, I don't, there, I definitely won't do anything other than something on the ketogenic spectrum. There's no way I'll deviate from that unless I see some amazing new research that I didn't count on. But my mind's always open. I'm always looking it's not open enough that my brain falls out, right? But it's open enough that I'm always looking and listening for some new thing like, oh, that's interesting. Let me check that out. But for the foreseeable future, I don't see any reason to, to not be carnivore, which is my particular brand of keto, right? And so as time goes on, I may, inco- I may try incorporating this particular weird badge or this particular weird supplement. I'm, I, I'm always experimenting. But I think the base of my health is is always my diet, right? That's always the foundation. And I think for the foreseeable future, it's going to be either carnivore or very fatty meat heavy keto for the, for, I don't even, I can't even imagine not doing one of those because I feel so amazing. I can, I can look at you right now and honestly tell you, I feel better now at 50 than I felt at 35. 
And that's, that's a ridiculous thing to say. That, sh- that should never be true. But it is because at 35, my diet was crap, right? And now I was poisoning myself. I was poisoning myself with sugars, with, with grains, with vegetable oils. And then I didn't even know it back then, or I wouldn't have even understood what you were saying. But nightshades are very, very inflammatory for me. And I didn't know that. And I couldn't know that back then because back when I was eating the standard American diet, if I had removed all nightshades from my diet for a month, I would not have been able to tell any difference. Does that make sense? Because I was so inflamed and so miserable and so bloated, I couldn't have, I couldn't tell any difference, right? That'd be like if an alcoholic who drinks two-fifths of, of vodka a day, if he removed the beer from his diet, he couldn't tell any difference. That wouldn't mean anything for him, right? Because he's drinking all this vodka every day. But after keto, my, my system was so much cleaner. And then definitely after carnivore, if I ha- eat a tomato now, I can immediately. And so the nightshades, for those of you who don't know, are, are tomatoes, peppers, all peppers, any pepper, eggplants, potatoes, and then and tomatillos and a few other little things that aren't very common. But for most people, it's tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants. Many people are sensitive to them and they have no idea because they've never been at a, at a place of health like I am now where I can try just a little of something and immediately my body gives me feedback. No, that's not for you. You don't need to be eating that. Now, is eating nightshades better than starving to death? Sure. Is eating wheat better than starving to death? Sure it is, right? So, you know, I always tell people, do the best you can. Do the best you can afford. But as soon as you can afford to do better, then do better. And so for me, that better is is fatty, fatty red meat carnivore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first time I got you on, too, we, we had a lot of great discussion about your book, uh, Do Doctors Lie?, do you think the carnivore diet is going to be a part of that now that we're actually, that this ties into what I wanted to ask you, which is so pertinent right now is the Eat Lancet Commission. Um, yeah. So we've got a whole bunch of doctors now and PhDs and researchers saying, hey, you actually got to eat a tiny amount of meat every day. Yeah. And with your experience and now your, your objective feelings, you th- do you think doctors are lying to us there about avoiding eating meat? Yeah. And so... The, the book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, has actually been picked up by Victory Belt, and there's going to be a second updated edition released in about a month. And it's not, I, I self-published the first time, so it was only on Amazon and Kindle. But this is going to be available in all bookstores, so I'm really excited about that. And there's going to be four extra chapters, and one of the lies is that red meat causes cancer and that that processed meat is bad for you. And and so I really go in, there's at least two chapters about dedicated to meat and the lies that doctors tell about meat. And for those of you who didn't hear the first time Gary and I chatted, the reason I use the word lies is because doctors and nutritionists and dietitians, they have a fiduciary duty to not only know the truth, but to tell the truth to their patients, Right. If your hairdresser tells you, oh, meat causes cancer, you shouldn't eat it, that's, you get to choose whether you listen to her or not because she has no duty to you as a, as a health professional. But I took an oath to do no harm, right? I, and so I, I have a license and I have a fiduciary, a legal responsibility to my patients to not only tell them what I think is best for them, but to know what's best for them. And so many doctors, after they get into practice, they get lazy. And so they're happy to just listen to the expert consensus, which is what 99% of nutrition 
findings or guidelines are based on. They're not based on any meaningful research. They're just based on epidemiology. And then you get a bunch of the, the, the oldest doctors with gray hair in the room from Harvard and Yale, and they decide what they think this research means. So you're taking faulty, half-assed done research, and then you're taking all these experts who all have their preconceived notions, which is usually that vegetables are better than meat. That's, that's on average what their consensus is. And then they issue these consensus statements telling you this is what you should eat. But, it, but the reality is it's based on no meaningful research, and they all have biases right? Whether it's a financial bias, they own interest in some, you know, uh, plant source nutrition company, or they just believe in their heart of hearts that you shouldn't kill and eat animals. That bias leaches into the expert consensus. And so that's exactly what the Eat Lancet thing is. And they actually, they say that verbatim. This is a, 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 an expert consensus of what human beings should eat. And so they admit, if you just read the, the introductory paragraphs, they say right up front, this is expert consensus. And that tell, anytime you see that that level of evidence is the only level of evidence mentioned, that means they have no evidence. That's what that means in, in science speak and doctor speak is the best we can do is get all the experts and, and we get to pick and choose the experts, right? And so they didn't ask me or, or Dr. Sean Baker to attend that. And so there was no carnivore perspective. There was no keto perspective in that room of experts. And so that's how you get these kind of guidelines. These guidelines are based on no randomized trials. They're based on no control trials. It's based exclusively on epidemiological research where they would basically, they would go to Gary's house and they would give him a questionnaire with anywhere from 40 to 180 questions. And the questions would be like, how many cups of ribs have you eaten in the last year? That's 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 a that's literally one of the questions. How many pounds of broccoli have you eaten? You're like, I don't know. And so they give you these multiple choice things to pick from. And you're like, ah, see, I don't know. And so then they they crunch all the And so you see right off the bat, the data is flawed from from the get go. Then they crunch all this flawed data, which usually magnifies errors when you crunch it. And then you get their opinion of that data. So anybody with any science background can see how removed from the actual scientific process this crap is that Eat Lancet has has flooded the airways with starting on the 17th of January. Mm -hmm. Well, and yeah, I I can see this discussion happening a lot through 2019 now. Uh, This, this, uh, hey, we, you know, there's a whole body saying minimize your protein intake. And yet we've got all these meat heal stories coming out and people like yourself going, no, I need to eat a lot of meat per day. There's no ways I'm going to be following this guideline. It's not going to suit my body at all. Right. Right. And so you can see the average guy walking the street. What recourse has he? He has none. All he can do is be like, well, it was on the evening news. It's on CNN.com. It's on, you know, WebMD. So it must be true. And so he starts to try to try to eat that way. And he gets sicker and sicker and sicker. And then you can also put yourself in the shoes of the average doctor who's got all these bills to pay. He's got this family who wants his time. He's got this medical practice that he may not even be as happy with as he once was. Is he going to is he going to get down into the research and actually read all these studies? No, he's just going to go with what the experts say. And so then he'll start to repeat this lie to his patients. He doesn't know better, but it's his job to know better. So that's what makes him culpable 
makes him guilty of malpractice, in my opinion. But his patients, this is the doctor they've looked up to for 10, 10 20, 30 years. They're not going to question him. And so everybody's going to start trying to eat this very unnatural synthetic diet. And I was just talking to Dr. Sean Baker, who you may know, he's very big in the carnivore community. He and I can envision a time, you know, you can buy dog food in a 50 pound bag, right? You can buy cat food in a 20 pound bag. We envision a day in the very near future when you can buy human kibble in a 50 pound bag. And that's literally, you will eat that and then drink some kind of soft drink or something. And all of the big food and big farming manufacturers will have a profit cut out of that 50 pound bag of human kibble. And then you'll drink Coca-Cola or something. So, you know, the, the big soft drink corporations are making their billions and we'll be so sick from eating this crap. We'll have to spend billions and, and keep big pharma in business. You see how everybody's got a vested interest in Eat Lancet going forward and becoming the standard of care. Every All the big dogs are in this. And <laughs> there was a, um, a graphic that was circulating on social media of all the big corporations who were behind Eat Lancet. Guess who it was? Archer Daniel Midland, Cargill, all the big farming, big food, Coca-Cola, all PepsiCo, all these guys, they're like, hell yeah, I'm on board because you can make anything. You can make any food product out of processed grain, vegetable oils, and sugar. Anything from a pizza crust to a cookie to a, tor a tortilla, you can make all that stuff out of those three ingredients. And they can essentially grow those things for free because of the government subsidy they get to grow it. And so their, their profit margin is almost infinite. So, of course, they're going to back this. Yeah, and I'm just I, I'm just imagining I, I I would completely agree with you. Human kibble, I could so see that that's just massive bags of cereal, uh, right? <laughs> just uh, comes pre-portioned where you just add your low-fat milk to it too, just to for you know to add add right. to the flavor. <laughs> um, exactly. So uh, I think hopefully that uh, might get some people thinking. Okay, so it's been in the news with this Eat Lancet. Um, maybe I don't have to follow that. I'll I'll, I'll prefer to follow Dr. Barry's advice here, and I'll I'll, I'll keep eating my meat. Um, for what would some of your tips be for someone who is in a ketogenic state or someone who wants to try the carnivore? I've seen a question crop up going, and it was kind of like that question you you did with yourself too. Sh should I just try this for a couple of weeks, maybe thirty days, and then I'll go back to my regular way of eating? So the question I have for you there is, do you think that someone could do like a cyclical carnival diet where I know some people will, will say, no, you've got to be strict and you've got to stay on this for 12 months straight. But I'm I'm already seeing that. I think you're going to get some people who say, hey, I want to do, I want to be carnival um, once a quarter or like, you know, three, three or four times in a year. So I'm going to do a cyclical version of it. Do you think that yeah. there might be I, some I sort of benefit? I think that's perfectly, perfectly rational. And I tell when I talk to my patients, they come to me and say, I heard about this carnivore thing. Do you think I should try it? My answer is, yeah, try it for one month, try it for 30 days, because there's zero research anywhere in the world that eating fatty red meat for just one month is going to cause any long-term damage. Nobody can even make that argument. That's a silly argument. If someone tries to make that, it's not going to hurt you for one month, right? Try it. See how you feel. If you don't feel your best, then go back to keto, go back to paleo, go back to primal, but try it for a month. And so I think there'll be many people who will do carnivore for months and then they'll come back off it and they'll do uh, a veggie heavy keto for a month and then, or they'll do it for six months. And I, I could see 
almost an infinite number of variations of that coming. But I think any variation of that is a thousand times healthier than the human kibble that we're going to be told to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I have patients who do very, very well on a vegetable heavy keto. They eat lots of green vegetables. They eat eggs. They eat full fat cheese. They eat some sardines and they eat some fish and they eat some uh, butter. And that's their, their keto, but they mainly green veg. And I think that's fine for some people. Other people have to move much further towards the red meat spectrum. And some people do best on almost zero carb, which is carnivore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching a, one of your Facebook live videos uh, just before this call to catch up on some of the, the, the info that you've been sharing. And your, uh, your wife, Nisha, is it? Yes. Um, did she start a carnivore uh, this month? Because uh, we're speaking in January 2019, the, the carnivore challenge. She's not exclusively carnivore, but she's much more carnivore than she ever imagined. We've been together for years. And for a long time, she was paleo, very veggie heavy. She's uh, she's uh, half Puerto Rican. And so she's got a lot of Spanish and equatorial DNA. And so I assumed that she would always do better on a veggie heavy keto just because of her ancestral background, right? But as we've done this, she has Hashimoto's thyroiditis and hypothyroidism. And so we never imagined that she'd be able to eat as, as you know, a, a fatty meat keto or to fast. We just assumed that she would never be able to do that. But as we've done this together, she's watched me and she, you know, it's easy. If I'm eating a big ribeye, she's like, give me some of your ribeye. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, depends on how hungry I am. But then the more she's done this, the more she's felt like, you know, I think I feel kind of, I feel better eating mostly carnivore. And so I would say she's probably 85, 90% carnivore for the last couple of months. And when you eat that much fatty meat, you're just not hungry. And so she's implemented more fasting into her ketogenic way than she ever imagined she'd be able to. Because she tried to fast before. And and with Hashimoto's, a lot of people say, I just can't fast. I can't do it. And she felt like she could not. But now, lately, the other day, she fasted for over 24 hours. And she said, you know, I feel like I've taken one of the limitless pills. Like she had her, she had her stuff out. She was brainstorming and she was coming up with video ideas because she has her own YouTube channel and, and Facebook. She does fashion and diet and nutrition and other stuff as well. And she, she just said, my brain won't stop. I just keep having new ideas. And she was like 20 hours into this fast and her brain was on fire. She said, I haven't been this productive. Like I've done more in one day than I, than I do in a week sometimes. And I think it's the fatty meat. It just lets you fast for longer periods. You're not hungry. You're not suffering. You're not weak. You're not tired. You feel great because your body's getting everything that it needs from either the all, you know, full fatty meat diet or lots of fatty meat, a little bit of veg. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great point there that you brought up too, because that ties into a little bit when I spoke with Kelly Hogan. And a lot of ladies will have done the ketogenic diet maybe for weight loss or in this case, too, you know, for metabolic reasons. Um, and the, I think a, a big problem is not eating enough protein, but it sounds like, yeah, why not just give it a try and see, see what happens right. and suddenly it could be right. very life-changing. Right, exactly. And so many people come to keto and they still have the old dieting paradigms in their head. Like, oh, I, I can only eat so many calories or... I should eat very small portions because I'm trying to lose weight. 
the whole point behind the ketogenic way of eating is that you're hacking your hormones, you're biohacking with this. And, and that's one way to think about it. But the other way is to think I'm just eating the diet that human beings are meant to eat. And therefore, all my hormones are going to go to the right place. So my leptin and my ghrelin hormones are not going to be out of sync. I'm not going to be hungry all the time and have to eat every two hours. Keto fixes that. But I think carnivore for most people goes even a step further. And you're eating so much fat and so much protein, you're satiated. You're full. And you, you actually understand what being full means because many people don't know what that means. And then you're able to fast for longer periods of time effortlessly because you're not hungry. Mm -hmm. And I think Nisha said a nice version again. So I've talked about the cyclical uh, carnivore version, but it's another version I can see happening is the modified version, what she she named it. Or um, right. there, there is a person out there, uh, Don, who's called it the hyper carnivore. And I think that's, mm -hmm. so again, that's a, a diet where at least 80% of your diet is animal protein. Right. And that's what Nisha's been following easily, 80% carnivore. And I, that, I think you'll see all kinds of variations of that becoming popular because depending on where you're from in the world, I think different variations of that will suit you better. And or I think there's a huge social component because for a lot of people, it sounds very weird and very unhealthy to say, don't eat anything green. You're like, what? Don't eat. Gr what? That just sounds so wrong. And I think it takes people a few months to get used to keto and to realize how good they feel when they had this huge ribeye and just a few Brussels sprouts or just a few, little bit of asparagus. And they're like, I don't need to stuff myself with seven to 10 cups of vegetables every day to feel healthy. I can feel great and not have to do that. And I think that's a great point is that there'll be some people who think I do feel so much better when I eat more protein, but I still like my veg or I still want to have some veg. And, then, and in this case, don't feel guilty. You know, you can right. have some. Yeah. If, if your cheat is that you ate some Brussels sprouts, I win. I still win, don't I? Yeah. It's like, boom, home run. I love that. That's awesome. And I, I was talking to somebody earlier <clears throat> and her cheat over Christmas is she ate two huge servings of Brussels sprouts. That was her cheat. And I'm like, that's amazing. You understand what you just said? You cheated with Brussels sprouts. That's amazing. I love that. Because five years ago, your cheat would have been with half of a coconut cake or something. Now you're cheating with Brussels sprouts. And so that makes me very happy. I feel like that we're making some kind of mark on the social consciousness if that's your cheat. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've brought it up a couple of times about the ancestral component to, to this. Do you think then potentially there is going to be some value, I don't know, currently or maybe in the future about people looking at their DNA to say, maybe I am more predisposed that I should be eating a, a more protein-heavy based diet, animal protein-based? Yeah, I think, I think the two wild cards in this are the gut microbiome and our DNA. I don't know how important each is going to be. If you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said ancestry probably doesn't play much of a part, but, but your gut bacteria are huge. Now, if you ask me that same question, I would say, I don't know if gut bacteria really matters much at all, but your ancestry probably matters quite a bit. Ask me five years, I don't know, but I know that it, the foundation of all of it is your diet. Nothing else matters if your diet is if you're not eating on some spectrum of the ketogenic diet, whether it's vegetarian keto or carnivore. Somewhere in there, I fully believe currently is the proper human diet for everybody. 
on, on that spectrum somewhere is where you fall. And that may change over time. Kind of like Nisha's kind of migrating from a veg heavy keto to a more meat heavy keto and, and now a hyper carnivore even. And so I don't think, I think if you're eating keto, I don't think you have to worry about it. I don't think you have to rush because you, first of all, you're doing a thousand times better than you were doing five years ago. Right. And so you, it gives you more time and, it, and your body's so less inflamed. Your insulin level is so much closer to a normal level most of the day, every day that you've got time to tinker and play and experiment and say, I'm going to try to eliminate the nightshades. I'm going to eliminate nuts from my keto. I'm going to eliminate all dairy for a month. You can play all these games and experiment and you'll get immediate feedback from your body because your body can now actually talk to you. You're not like the alcohol alcoholic that drank a liter of vodka every day. And he, he said, I'm going to stop beer and see if that makes me feel better. That's not going to help him. But now that you're keto or carnivore, you can add back in something and immediately your body will give you feedback. That's good. And I didn't have a reaction or that's bad. And I bloated and my, my eczema came back and my heartburn came back. I don't need to eat that at all. Mm -hmm. And now having been so heavy in the meat world for a period of time, what's your view on the quality of meat? That question that comes up. So I've got a YouTube video about that and I've got a chapter in, in lies. My doctor told me about that, but I'll tell you, I think that meat quality matters far less than just the fact that you're eating a lot of meat. I've got a video about, the, you know, we hear about the nitrate free nitrates or nitrates. Do they cause cancer? Or are they bad? And people are kind of stunned when they find out that celery has a hundreds of times more nitrates than bacon. And they're like, wait, no, what? Yeah. And so when in, a, in the U.S., the federal government is very, it's a very odd creature. If you're a big enough corporation and you have enough money and enough lobbyists, you can get very strange laws passed in the United States. And so if you don't put any uh, chemically made nitrates in your bacon, if you use nitrates that you get from celery, you can call that nitrate free. Legally, you can put that on your label, nitrate-free, even though that bacon very probably has more nitrates than just regular bacon. That is an absolute truth in the United States. And I don't know if it's that way in other parts of, of Europe and the world, but here you can put a big sticker that says nitrate-free because you got the nitrates from a natural source, which is beet greens or, or celery. But that's, it's the same exact chemical molecule. A nitrate is a nitrate. There's no difference, regardless of where you get it from. And so when I tell people that their nitrate-free bacon probably has more nitrates than their regular bacon and costs twice as much, they're, they're furious, understandably. But then also I tell them, you need to, if you're worried, truly worried about nitrates, you need to stop eating celery for sure and many other greens because they have way more nitrates than bacon. And that most people, that's kind of the wake up call, the light bulb, like what? And then they start looking into this and they find that to be absolutely true. There's no doubt about that. And another question I have for you then is how much meat should someone eat in a day? Because they might stop with this and go, oh, I've, I've only got X amount of budget. Um, like, do I have to eat two pounds of meat a day or do I just eat, to, um, you know, that I'm not hungry anymore? What, what would your advice be for them? Yeah, great question. So if meat quality, does it matter? How much does it matter? And from my reading and my, my personal experience, I think that grass-fed, grass-finished, panda massage beef that costs $22 a pound 
is maybe 1% better for you than just the cheapest ground beef you can buy at the market. Okay. And so with that being said, carnivore is not nearly as expensive. If you understand that, yeah, you want to buy the best quality meat you can afford, but you don't need $25 a pound meat to eat carnivore. You can eat eggs, you can eat um, tons of ground beef, you can get, and so usually the fattier the ground beef, the cheaper it is, right? And so that you actually want the fattier ground beef. You don't want the super lean. You want the fat because that helps you stay in ketosis and it helps you stay full. And so they're usually the fattier cuts of meat are actually cheaper. And that's the cuts you want to go after anyway. And so a lot of times, just like the, the scrap cuts that they would sell that you would put in your stew or your soup, that's perfect for carnivore. And so you can be eating all this cheap meat and doing and making your health noticeably better. You don't have to spend a fortune to be a carnivore. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you live in the perfect part of the world, don't you, for getting access to meat? I do. Yeah, I live in in the deep southern United States. Uh, there are big farms all around us. There, are, it's it's normal for a little uh, an older neighbor lady to have ten chickens in the backyard, and so we can get absolutely organic pastured eggs. We can get all that stuff. We have access to it. But what I predict is going to happen with the Eat Lancet guidelines, depending on how hard they try to implement them and make them regulation or law and, and, and create taxes to tax meat, people are just going to start having chickens in the backyard again. They're going to, they're going to have, if they have an acre, they're going to have a pig running around or they're going to have a, a, a you know, a cow running around. And I, I predict that there'll be local butchers that pop up again or local meat processors that you'll just, you'll grow your own, eat your own eggs. And, or you'll have your, your cow that you have one cow a year. You have the guy, local guy butcher it. You put it in the freezer and then you've got your meat. And the, the federal government can go to heck, so to speak. And I think if the regulations get very onerous, you'll see that local economy. And I, I'm all for that. I love buying local and encouraging local things like that. And so I think you'll see a huge resurgence of everybody basically growing their own protein, growing their own fat again if the taxes get too onerous at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're coming close to our, our time here, but I want to ask you a question I know is definitely going to come up. And that's going to be, oh, okay, Dr. Uh, Dr. Berry, how are your bloods looking? I don't know if you've even <clears throat> gone down that route. Yeah, and so I try to be completely transparent with what I'm doing because they would love to say, oh, Barry's lying. He doesn't eat, really eat that way. or he's probably diabetic because he eats that way. And so every six months I draw a huge panel of labs of bloods and I post them on my Facebook page. And then also since I've started working out, I'm going to, I'm going to take pictures once a month of me just wearing my shorts from three different angles. And I'm going to post that on my Facebook page every month. So there can be no doubt if the carnivore diet is giving me scurvy and causing my muscles to go away, you'll be able to see that from the month to month pictures. If it's causing me to become a diabetic and, and causing all my inflammatory markers to go up, you'll be able to see that in my blood work that I post on my Facebook page every six months. And so the, you know, if I'm wrong, you'll be able to see it in black and white on my Facebook page. And look at, look at this picture from January versus June. He's obviously has scurvy. Look, his teeth are falling out or, if the opposite is true, 
you'll be able to see that progression as well. And so that's, I mean, no research has ever been done on any of this, either by this side of the argument or the other side of the argument. Nobody knows. But all I can go is I can take the research and make what I make from that and then take the common sense of if you feed a dog a good diet, then he's a very healthy looking, active dog with a shiny coat. Or if you feed him a diet that's not good for him, his hair starts falling out, he starts getting skin sores, he gets diabetic, he gets fat, he just lays around and sleeps all the time. That's common sense, right? And so if you take that dog to the vet, the very first question the veterinarian is going to ask you is, what have you been feeding this dog? And I think that same common sense applies to human beings. And so if you see people like me and Sean Baker and Amber O'Hearn and Michaela Peterson looking and feeling better and better and better, that must mean something. And so I think, I think all of these N equals one experiments, now that we have social media to share them, share with them with everybody, there, more people are going to jump on board and start recording how they look and how they feel and what their bloods were. And that after a certain amount of time, you know, people say, oh, well, that's just a case study and that's weak evidence. And that's true. But if you have a thousand case studies that show the exact same thing, that carries more scientific weight. And when you have 50,000 case studies that show the same exact trend, you've got to give that scientific merit and you've got to start doing some control studies to see what the heck's going on there because you can't call that just a case study or an N equals one after you've got 50,000 people who have posted their bloods and posted their before and after pictures. If you're a rational human being, you can no longer ignore that evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you. You know, I'm as you know, this whole show is about N equals one and I'm, I'm for that. <clears throat> yeah. So um, you're not worried about getting type two diabetes then it sounds like. My last A1C was 5.3 or 5.2. My triglycerides were beautiful. My HDL cholesterol was beautiful. All of my uh, inflammatory markers were perfect. I I don't have any fear that I'm damaging my body. Now, my last total cholesterol was 350, and my last LDL cholesterol was 250. And if that freaks any of you guys listening out, then go to my YouTube channel and watch a video by Dr. David Diamond. He's a PhD researcher here in the States. And he breaks down why you not only should you not care if your total cholesterol is high, you should be happy and proud if your total cholesterol is high, because that's very protective against dementia and many other diseases that people get as they get older. So, Ken, this is the time when uh, I, I normally ask if people want to contact you or keep in touch with all this great information that you're sharing, where do you want people to go? So if you'll just search Dr. Ken Berry on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, I think you'll find me pretty quickly. That's where I do the bulk of my work. I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn and Vero and every other social media, but I spend the bulk of my time on YouTube. I try to make at least two new videos every week. And then uh, my wife and I, Anisha, we're live on my Facebook page every Sunday night at 7 p.m. And we'll hash out some new topic and then we'll take tons of questions from the people who have joined us on the Facebook Live. And so that if you want to ask me a question, that's the perfect way to do it. Perfect. And I'm going to link to all of that in the show notes. But again, fantastic episode. Thanks so much for all your Tennessee truth bombs. I do love them. Um, And (laughs) I just want to find out, are you going to the Carnival Conference by any chance uh, in Boulder, Colorado? 
I'll be there as an attendee. I'm not speaking this year. And I'll also be at the low carb event that starts the day after that in Colorado as well. Okay, yeah, because this episode is going to go live before that. So I look forward to meeting you in person because I'm going to be there myself. Oh, you'll be there. Oh, excellent. I can't wait to see you in person. Yeah, perfect. Well, again, thank you so much, Ken, for your time. My pleasure, brother. I'll see you next time. Yeah.